This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I caught up with someone who always leaves me feeling sparkly and motivated, Vic. Where do we start? Vic's Australia's first BTS nutrition and she exudes intelligence and self-awareness. She was almost literally born and raised in a vet clinic. Vic has a rare combination of clinical skills teamed with an intimate understanding of the veterinary business. If you're working in a leadership position or someone with an interest in nutrition, you're going to get a lot from this interview. In fact, anyone needing a little oomph to get them across the finish line of crazy old 2020 will get a lot from Vic. That's why I decided not to edit this interview down, even though we went a bit over time, because it's not every day that I get to pick this wonderful brain. I'm excited to share Vic's strategies and insight about how to not just survive, but thrive in our careers. She also reminded me of that one simple goal we can sometimes overlook. Be your best self. Good morning, Vic. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. I am so excited to be here with you today and spending this time with you. Me too, because as you know, I've been like begging you for a while, but it's been hard to line up our schedules because pre-pandemic, you probably travel more than anyone I know. Um, And post-pandemic, the world's just been a bit on its head. So I'm so excited now to have you. Yay, we're making it happen. We are. Now, do you listen to podcasts? What are some of your favorite ones to listen to? I love podcasts. I am such a big advocate for people listening to podcasts and I think that we should be putting them on every time we are in the car or just all the time. I love podcasts and I love podcasts that focus on growth and mindset and entrepreneurship and that's Mm. my big passion. So I love things like the Tony Robbins podcast. Mm -hmm. There is a really great podcast called Mindset by Design by Andy Murphy and it really focuses on NLP. Um, There's a couple of other really good mindset ones, Game of Grow, Mindset Mentor, etc. I also really love Female Startup Club. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. It is so inspirational. It's a podcast uh, really entirely focused on amazing startups run entirely by women and it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and one I really recommend people jump on and, and listen to. Uh, I have to say I love Pretty Big Deal by Ashley Graham. She is just absolutely fantastic. And I've just recently started getting into the Veterinary Innovation Summit's podcast. Uh, they are, It's a podcast entirely focused on new technologies and innovations in the veterinary industry. And uh, that would have to be my personal favourite list outside of the obvious veterinary ones. And of course, the number one podcast, this one. 
Oh, thank you for saying. <laughs> the, aside from the Tony Robbins one, I think they're all new to me. So I am. I can't wait to to deep dive into all of them. Can I ask you what is NLP? NLP is neuro linguistic programming. Oh yes, Sue mentioned that in hers. Yes. In her interview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I and I love uh, anything to do with innovation as well, whether it's, you know, whether it's products and software or apps or whatever that, that can um, introduce us to ways to innovate and economise and um, improve efficiency in my personal life, in my vet life, in my business life. I'm just all about that too. So I'm excited to look into that innovation one as well. Oh, brilliant. I, I have no doubt that one day we'll be listening to you as a guest on there. Oh, that could be good. Very good. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to jump into some of those podcasts. And I agree, if you're going to be sitting on a plane or driving in a car or walking the dog, I mean, we don't always want this information overloaded and it is important to have times where you're just doing nothing. But there are other times when, you know, why wouldn't you be exposing yourself to these new ideas that might just motivate you, you know, to make a change towards that hustle that you were thinking about or to improve, you know, the way that you're functioning in your work place or interacting with your co-workers or within your friendship group or your home life you know why wouldn't you want to learn all about that I couldn't agree more and I think sometimes too at the moment the world as you say is so on its head and there's so much stress and anxiety out there and sometimes when we fill our time listening to things like the news outlets the Mm. news is absolutely critical and important and that's a whole other conversation to have a different time but Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be more uh, empowering and help us to reset and change our mindset when we are listening to information sources that fuel us rather than those ones that detract us or uh Uh, let us plug into the additional anxieties and stresses of the world Mm. and those sometimes impactful news stories are the ones that do uh, create a sense of fear or anxiety or or Mm. whatever the the emotion might be and so sometimes it's great to disconnect from that and plug into a a information source that actually leaves you feeling energized or empowered engaged excited and Mm -hmm. there can be a real power in, in just simply changing what that information input is especially now more than ever so true and I have to take this um, little sidetrack with you just on that and I don't watch a lot of news I read certain news on my phone but you know as a mum with young kids I don't have the news on a lot but when the pandemic first um, sort of happened I was watching the news every afternoon and my anxiety was through the roof I was awake for large chunks of the night super anxious um, and and you know like like you say that the news stories are designed to impact you in a certain way and put you in a certain state and every afternoon I my youngest has a sleep so I tend to get all of everybody showered by like five o'clock and then I let my eldest watch cartoons for you know half an hour while I get my little one to sleep and then I get dinner ready by six boring but usually (laughs) um when the pandemic first hit I was putting on the news at five o'clock when I got my eldest settled down with his cartoon I was putting the news on and watching it while I got my little one down for his last little nap and it, and it just made me so anxious. So I made this really empowering decision at one point to switch it out with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes. Oh, my God. I felt so much better. Um, and I know this is a subject close to your heart too, but 
uh, it just made me feel happy watching like ladies with really shiny lip gloss and, you know, beautifully (laughs) manicured nails, going to expensive shops, buying ridiculous dresses, getting in limos, having a champagne on the way to a party. I was like, this is so much better. I couldn't agree more. And it's so... It's so important to look at the ways that we refuel and it really leads into the whole idea of resilience and combating that fatigue and being able to reset ourselves and that's different for everyone and people will often say one of those negative coping strategies that we have is watching too much TV but sometimes that's just the best way to help our minds just relax and reset and that's mm. individual for everyone um, but I'm I'm such a big advocate I, I have to say that's probably one of my guilty pleasures is um, <laughs> every now and then indulging in a spot of reality uh, television and and for me it's it's the same it's just a way to unplug let my, let your mind relax focus on something trivial and and then get back to the get back to plugging into real life again Exactly. So yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And I know we've had some funny chats about the Real Housewives before. I have to say for the record, Kat, who is your favorite housewife? Are we talking just Beverly Hills? Look, let's go of all time. Oh, gosh. Look, it's, it's gotta be Bethany or Ramona. It's gotta be. What about you? Look, I have to say Bethany or Erica Mm -hmm. Jane. I love Bethany for all that she's achieved and she is so honest and she's Mm -hmm. so direct and to the point and she's a very strong character and obviously she's a super successful uh, businesswoman and a real role model in that space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess in a similar vein, Erica Jane, um, she is very much her own woman, uh, really strong, powerful in her her own way and, and... success looks like different things to different people and you just sit back and go good good for you live and let live Mm, that's it and at the end of the day they you know it's the same with the the kardashians whatever you want to say about them they're still these people that these women that are building these empires these multi-million dollar empires you know and they're hardworking. and bethany's uh you know interview narration of the series is just so funny and so dry so i love that about her too totally Uh, Now that we've discussed the really important things, (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to where are you from and where do you currently live? So I am Brisbane, Australia, born and bred. Uh, That is where I currently live, although I have to say that's where my mortgage is. Pre-pandemic, we were travelling two to three weeks of the month and so sometimes it felt a little bit like the entire country and New Zealand is is your home, Um, Mm -hmm. but I am Brisbane born and bred. Excellent. And how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing? So I was actually born in a clinic is what I like to joke, but it's really not that far off the truth. Um, my mother is a vet. Um, oh, she wow. has, she's actually, she's an incredibly inspirational uh, woman actually, but she's owned her, her the clinic since I was very, very, very young. And so I, I grew up in the clinic. Um, I think I was 10 when I started working as a kennel hand. And the reason why I started working as a kennel hand in the clinic is my older sister, she was 13 and 
my mother said to her, well, you know, it's, it's time for you to get, a, get your first job and, and come into the clinic and, and you can start helping out and I'll pay you for your time. And she, she really was very reluctant and they had some conversations about her reluctance. And uh, me, on the other hand, I threw a bit of a tantrum to let me go into the clinic <laughs> and start working. And um, it was, at the end, it was easier for her to say, fine go in, start start working as a kennel hand and uh, then it was to put up with um, arguments about why I should not be allowed to do that. And so my some of my earliest memories really do uh, revolve around being in the clinic and, and have some really funny stories about assisting with cases being really, when I was really young and so it's, I just, I've, I really do feel like I was just born into the clinic. It's in, in part of, it really has shaped part of who I am. You've actually just um, superseded Jazz as the person to start working the earliest because <laughs> <laughs> she was quite young, but you were very young. So um, you're now, yeah, you started your veterinary nursing career uh, younger than anyone I've spoken to, which is awesome. And I think you're so lucky to have that exposure um, to to your first line of work being so exciting because I started working as a 12 year old uh, on my first day of year seven but I was deep frying chips and chico rolls and stuff so (laughs) not as inspiring Uh, my three-year-old loves going to work with Matt if he's got patients in over the weekend and watching him treat them he's just enthralled so I kind of have a rough idea of what you might have been exposed to as a kid and how that could affect you absolutely and I was we were the you know I was very very young in in early stages of primary school and and credit to my mother you know she's full-time vet which as we know is never 38 hours a week and mm. and a mother and and so she'd duck out of the clinic pick us up from school uh take us back to the clinic where we would hang out and at, in the back of the clinic until uh cl- time to close uh and that was p- before I was actually allowed to start start working there and it's mm. just uh, you know I look back at, at that and as some of my my fondest memories, you know, hanging out with um, with my sisters there after school and just observing and learning and, and watching. Um, but I also think back about how incredibly powerful it was to have such a strong role model making it work mm. uh, in all the different in all the different areas and and. That's the, I think the same of you, Kat, and I just am so inspired and respect you so much. You have so many different hats on and I have no doubt sometimes it's so challenging, but it's also mm. so powerful for people to be able to look up at the model that you're setting and, mm. and go, wow, that, you know, it is possible to, to juggle those hats. You're, not, you're never one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that, that the, those experiences really young have shaped – uh, a big part of my drive to never settle and to always to look at barriers and, and overcome them and, and mm-hmm. never never go, well, someone said you couldn't, so you couldn't. There's always a way. I agree. There's always a way around. And I think that's a really important message too. To I see a lot of um, posts on like the Smiling Vet Nurse page of people saying they've come back to work um, after having kids and they feel like they're not doing anything very well. And that that is a real thing that happens, but I think it's important important to reframe that and say well maybe I am not nailing this like I used to but at least I'm showing my kids what it looks like to do um, you know career and mum 
both at once or maybe I'm showing my kids what it's like to still play netball with my friends one night a week and be mum and be working even though that means the washing's piled up on that particular part of the week or I feel like I'm failing because dinner's you know a bit substandard or whatever so um, I agree we can reframe that and remember what it's like to be the child you know saying wow my mum's amazing. Absolutely and I think this is something that I talk about all the time with my coaching clients is, and it's a really important point that we touch on is what do what does success look like? And and this is the same for nurses who are really, really young and they, they often say to me, I feel like I'm not doing anything really well or return to work or even just sometimes when we're in a special interest area and then we go back into general practice and mm. there's sometimes that sense of, of, oh my God, how do I even put in a catheter again? Mm. And yeah. it's important that... that we reframe that and it's, it, it's not going to surprise you. I'm into mindset podcasts here, but we often set ourselves criteria for success that are setting us up for failure. Mm. And so the classic example is when I have new leaders and they say to me, I feel like I'm, I'm failing, I'm not a very good leader. And I'll say, well, what are your success criteria for being a good leader? And they'll say to me, well, I want my uh, – my staff, my team to be happy and engaged and enthusiastic in the workplace. And I'll say, okay, great. Well, that's that's good criteria for a leader, sure. But then I'll say to them, what if I told you statistically, and so there's a study that was done by Gallup, which is an extremely well-renowned international research group, that has shown that in Australia and the statistics are different per country, but in Australia, uh, on average, employees are engaged in the workplace 24% of the time, which is almost mind-blowing, but that's mm. what, what the re- and, and the, re- the Gallup research is uh, relatively fresh within the last few years. But what that means is when we have a look at the success criteria of I need my team to be happy and excited in the workplace all the time, and then we're having a look at and saying, well, statistically, it's only going to be 24% of the time, automatically that means that the criteria we have set for ourselves is impossible mm-hmm. and we are setting ourselves up for failure. And so what if we could reframe that to be, well, the success criteria is uh, actually whenever someone in my team says, hey, thanks, thanks for that, or thank you, I appreciated that, or that was really good, um, then that means that I'm a good leader. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'll know, Kat, from all of your, from uh, this podcast, from the clinic, how many times in a day does your team say thank you to you? Mm-hmm. And automatically, if we're focusing on that as the success criteria, then then wow, how much more empowering is that? And we are setting ourselves up for success. Mm. And so it's one of those things that I say to to student nurses and and to return to work uh, nurses or vets all the time is, well, let's what is the success criteria? Why can't the the success criteria be, well, I'm not spending enough time with my kids and why can't the success criteria be rather than looking at that time in minutes or hours or days of the week, why can't it be as long as I've made my kid laugh so hard that they're crying (laughs) this week, then that's Mm. the success criteria. Mm. Or Mm. I've introduced my child to a new sensory experience this week. That is the success criteria. And as long as I've done that, then I'm winning. Mm. And how much more empowering is that? I agree. It's really important to reframe, to be able to set yourself up to actually be able to achieve. And on saying thank you, I think it's nice to provide 
a platform for people to say thank you because often it's so busy at work and we have a a staff meeting it used to be monthly and now it's about every six weeks and at the end of the staff meeting we always finish with the ABCD awards which is above and beyond the call of duty Um, and so the nomination forms in a box on the lunch table for the whole you know six weeks or four weeks or whatever it is between meetings and it says I nominate blank for going above and beyond the call of duty when they and then you know you can pick up a form while you're there having lunch and just say um, to this person for coming in and covering my shift when you know I, I wasn't feeling well or when my kids were sick or to this person for doing this thing that just made me um, want to say like you said oh thank you or I appreciated that because there's not always the time to say that at the time and so then we read them all out at the meeting and whoever gets the most nominations gets a little gift voucher but the most important thing is we then stick all of the nominations up on the wall where we make our teas and our coffee so that you can sit there and read that and, and see that everybody is thankful for these little things and that people are doing beautiful things to make each other's work life easier or doing nice things for clients or doing nice things for patients or whatever it might be. I love that. We had a similar thing in in our clinic and we call it the warm and fuzzy box, uh, which where we have uh, small slips of paper that say you changed my day because and a very similar thing, respond to that and and put them in the box and we read them out and share them, which is really, which is a beautiful thing and was made even more beautiful when we decided to go and buy some pink fuzzy material and actually... (laughs) wrap the box in in a warm fuzzy <laughs> hot pink fluff oh that's that's nice I like that a lot and it's very much the same sentiment of just making time to say these are the things that I appreciated so Absolutely. I like the warm and fuzzy box <laughs> I want to touch on your coaching clients when we talk now about where you work and what you do but I also just want to say that having heard that story about your childhood you make a lot more sense to me now because I've often thought when I've, you know, spoken to you and met you in person, like, how the hell does Vic know so much? Like, (laughs) how has she crammed this much into her career with her age that she knows so much? But it does make sense to me now because you've literally grown up living and breathing this industry. So my my little light bulb's gone on. I'm like, okay, that's the, the missing part of this picture for me. So I find that so interesting to learn. And I've no doubt that between working in your mom's practice and um, what you're doing now, you've had, you know, various different jobs on the way. If you can briefly link those jobs for me in just a very short summary and then go into what you're doing now, that would fill in any other missing links that I have. (laughs) It's so funny, Kat. I actually get that that question all the time. I was asked that last week, how do you know how do you remember everything? And, and the, the answer really is time and not putting pressure on yourself. And, and so mm. it's a bit of another conversation, but it is, I feel like it is important to say I've been around for a really, really long time and acknowledging that things, it does take time and that, and that experience is important and, and that's okay. And so I did work in the clinic for a really, really, really long time. Um, in 2015, we sold uh, the clinic to a corporate mm-hmm. and transitioned into the more management leadership side in that corporate. I worked as a regional manager and then the training and development manager uh, before coming across to Crampton Consulting Group. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the 
over the last few years have been really uh, very transformative uh, for me, really interesting, and have I've been able to grow upon the clinical side of things. And I feel like for the first uh, 10 plus <laughs> however many years, I really focused on developing the clinical understanding uh, and then really started to, to focus on the systems, the workflow, the leadership and the business side of things. And, and that was made easier. I'm really lucky to have been uh, mentored and influenced by some really incredible people and um, you know, why with a family relationship to Dr. Thomas Kanzari, Tom Cat, over who's a, a very well-known consultant over in the states, who uh, they really credit uh, team consulting to. He he sort of founded that idea back in the the eighties, um, really the late seventies, early eighties, and um, so very lucky to have a very close personal relationship there that uh, has helped to shape the leadership and management side of of my growth mm -hmm. and then I'm um, I'm just I'm so interested in the science and the medicine and and I've have that drive to always continuously improve upon the technical side of things you have so many different facets you also have the knowledge of oh if you're building a practice you should have you know this many consulting rooms per you know surgeries and you should have the bench next to this and you know you, you know things about layout you know lots of practicalities um I just can't get my head around all the angles that you know but again it is starting to make sense to me so um it's it's great that you've now um been able to work in this coaching sort of role with Crampton Consulting Group what sort of things do you do with that and how has that changed too with not being able to travel oh it's so so fascinating and so dynamic and I love when people say what does your day look like and the answer is every day is different and that is part of what I love about it and so a big part of what we do is really personal one-on-one -on -one, uh, leadership coaching and sometimes even life coaching and we know that we just we don't exist in a vacuum we don't show up at work do our day's work go home cease to exist and come back the next day so a lot of the coaching and mentoring that we do is absolutely focused on the clinic but the skills are transferable regardless of the setting that you're in so we do a lot of that uh, we do a lot of business development and uh, HR support um, we know that that one of the biggest stresses in a clinic is interpersonal stress and regardless of that is uh, dealing with HR issues internally within the team uh, or dealing with those with the inner client facing role we do a lot of support for clinics with that mm -hmm. uh, we do a lot of uh, I do a lot of technical skills training um, in a broad range of different areas mm -hmm. uh, which I absolutely love and very very focused on the nurses there and I think it's so important that we do have nurses training nurses. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of intricacy and a lot of technicality in what veterinary nurses do. And sometimes we can lose that uh, when we, we we have vets or other sources training, training nurses. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. so really kind of very, very, very di diverse and uh, and very broad and and we've had to be very innovative and transformative in our approach to what we're doing. And, and yes, we're able to deliver a lot of the same services that we did prior to COVID, um, but we need, we've been forced to transform how we deliver those and, and making sure, and a lot of that has gone to online. Uh, mm. Of course, we can't travel, uh, mm -hmm. but 
it's it's we have an extra focus on making sure that we can still achieve the same outcomes. And we know for anyone engaging in telemedicine uh, with your clients that when you are communicating over a platform, whether that be the uh, computer or whether that be a phone, uh, there is that level of distancing that exists. Mm. And so we need to make up for that slight barrier there uh, and be able to overcome that to make sure that the connection is there as though we were face-to-face and that's been an exciting uh, challenge it's been something that we've adapted to really really quickly and and quite easily and and I think the the other side of things that we've really had to focus on over the past six months is resilience training Mm. and stress management fatigue management Mm -hmm. Um, and we've done a lot in this space over the last six months in response to COVID. Mm. That's just (laughs) I can only imagine we were already talking about the need for resilience in our industry before the pandemic. Um, and I can only imagine what the pressure is like, particularly for people in in Melbourne at the moment, and I guess in all of Victoria, but particularly Melbourne. Um, re- recently, I ordered something online for my son and it had been a while since I made the order and I was searching in my email for a tracking number and I couldn't find it. So I rang the phone number of the business and this lady answered the phone and she was in tears saying, I'm sorry, the phone just won't stop ringing because for some reason all of the emails are going to everybody's spam and I'm in Melbourne. So it's taking 14 business days for anything to get to people instead of five because everything's going via Sydney. And then she was sobbing and going on and on saying, I'm only allowed outside for an hour a day. Um, My husband's an alcoholic and we live in a one bedroom apartment. Um, I, you know, the phone just won't stop ringing. I can't cope. And she just broke down on the phone and I was saying, it's okay. I know it's really tough. Don't worry about my order. Can I help you with my IT person? Can I like, I'll pay for them to spend a few hours looking at this for you. What can I do for you? And I just thought, oh my goodness, this is what it is. And she was saying, you know, I've just been, been in a fight with the people at the chemist. And I was thinking, We've got the people at the working at the chemist um, and the people working at the vets and the people who are going to post something and the people who are going to take the animal to the vet and pick up something from the chemist all under this enormous pressure just due to so many rugs being pulled from underneath them in terms of what their home life looks like. And then they're all trying to interact with each other to perform their services. And it just must be be so hard and I've heard Dr Andy Rourke talking about this lately that clients are difficult and clients are angry and clients are are, you know um, you know more of a challenge than ever but when you sort of think about that and when I heard this lady I I can understand why we're sort of putting everyone totally on edge and then saying here now try and interact and and reach um, outcomes to these issues. Absolutely and what um, Dr. Andy Rourke's been talking about over in the States, we have absolutely been seeing, uh, not isolated to Melbourne, but uh, also in Sydney and a couple of the other hotspots, but um, we are absolutely seeing clients who are hypersensitive, mm-hmm. um, who are becoming, who, who historically may not have been difficult, but uh, have moved into that space of beca- of what we might call a difficult client now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of general stress and anxiety in our pet parent population. And when we think about all of the stresses that go on in a veterinary clinic, 
his previous to, to COVID. Uh, now, on top of that, we're adding in all of the COVID factors and the impact that that is having on our clients that we really are seeing just a general increased state of anxiety, uh, of stress, of tension across everyone. And the concern uh, that raised that is risen with that is that we're not going to see a short end date to that. And yes, mm. we know that Melbourne's coming out of the, the current uh, environment and we hope that the restrictions ease uh, as soon as possible. Um, but the flip side of that and, and globally is that a lot of, there's a lot of job loss, there's a lot of economic uncertainty and there's a lot of financial strain and I think as an industry we're going to continue to feel that ongoing for a long time and we know that our pet parents, the two things that, that stress them the most is one, their loved ones or their pets and two, money. And so we're now, mm. we are uh, uniquely in the industry where we're dealing with their loved ones, their pets, mm. Mm. and we are also dealing with the financial side of things. Mm. And that's slightly different in veterinary medicine than it is in human health, of course. We don't have uh, Medicare and all the rest of it. And so there's, we need to be mindful that, that even if we can get get the entire country into really low COVID numbers and, and we can get a vaccine and all the rest of it that I don't think we're going to see uh, an end to the stress really, really quickly. That's the trick right. with resilience then is to be able to go, okay, I acknowledge that the stress is there. I can't actively, we can't, you know, flick a switch and, and turn off the stress and be like, yay, now no more stress, everyone's happy, fantastic, mm. right? Like mm -hmm. that's, we don't, we live in, in reality, unfortunately. Um, so what we need to be able to do is go, if these stresses exist, how can I not just survive here, but how can I also thrive? Mm. And that's where we, there's so many strategies, strategies that we can use on a personal level, but there's so much that we can do uh, for others as well. And, and we need to be able to take accountability and to contribute to a team solution, but also take accountability for managing ourselves and our own stress and fatigue and resilience. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so where can people reach out to if they're looking at their team and saying, okay, we need to bolster ourselves. We need to learn this resilience. Like there are a lot of um, online and face-to-face -face providers of this sort of thing. Can you recommend any, any ways that they can look into that? Oh, absolutely. So Crampton Consulting Group, we're doing a lot of training, uh, both in groups, both with individuals and with clinics. Uh, and so there is on our website a COVID-19 resource hub that's completely complimentary. Oh, there wow. is a stress and resilience uh, focused ebook e on there, mm -hmm. sorry, um, that has so many different uh, tips and techniques and strategies, and it's entirely free for you to access. Um, so please don't hesitate to jump onto the CCG website and download that. Um, otherwise, I, I, in Australia, we're really lucky to have Nadine Hamilton. Um, yes. She's mm. got her, uh, she's really focused in this area. Um, please also know that uh, the AVA, for any, anyone who's an AVA member, they have a 24-hour uh, completely complimentary uh, a hotline and you can give that, a, that number a call 24-7. It's complimentary and they will have trained counsellors that can support 
you with that. Mm -hmm. uh, the VNCA has a really great wellness corner that has some other resources on there for you. Um, there lots of clinics now have access to an, what's called an EAP, which yeah. is an employee assistance program. And that is where the employer provides access to counsellors and the employee can access four free sessions per calendar year or more if that's recommended by that psychologist and agreed to by the by the employer. Uh, but that's an entirely confidential thing where your employer doesn't get your details, they don't know which of their team members has accessed that. Um, and sometimes there's some uncertainty around that and, and some stigma around that, but it's really critically important that we mm. normalise accessing support. Mm. And whether that's veterinary specific like the ABA or an EAP or whether that's more broad like Lifeline or Beyond Blue um, and some of those guys, it is critically important that we normalise it's okay to access support. Mm. We treat mm -hmm. pets every single day. Our clients are accessing us to help mm. them. And so it's okay for us to also access our help and support and, and make sure that we we normalise it. It doesn't say anything negative about you. If, if you had an illness, you would go to the doctor. Mm. If you need support um, to cope with everything that's going on at the moment, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to, to reach out to, to the site. There's so many resources out there. Absolutely. I'm going to link all of those in the show notes. So we've got the COVID hub on the CCG website, Nadine, ABA hotline, wellness corner on the VNCA website. And um, I cannot recommend EAPs more highly. And we've had two different varieties. We started just with a local um, psychology service that we linked up with and nice. um, and they came and did a presentation at a staff meeting and then staff just had their contact details. And if somebody used the service um, I just got an invoice with, you know, a number on it. It didn't have somebody's name, but I wouldn't have cared if it said the name of the person. I wouldn't have thought, oh, so-and-so's used the EAP. They're not coping. Um, and people used it. And now we've switched over to um, Uprise, which is a sort of a proactive one that that um, checks in with people and gets them to fill out a short survey every now and again to see how they're going. And it provides webinars and, you know, training and that sort of thing if they, if they want it. So definitely... Nice. Um, definitely people should look into that and can you isolate your favorite part of your job I know you do so many different things I have to say so it's not going to come as any surprise when you when I say to you Kat that I'm motivated by learning and motivated by growth and growing and development and and I'm so passionate about it and I think that's part of what has contributed to um to my progress in in my career and so it it then makes sense and doesn't come as a surprise when I say that the best part of my job is seeing that in others. And I mm. just love when we can support an individual or a team or a business or even a, a group of clinics when we can, can uh, identify the issue, support with that issue and then see that person grow and develop and uh, that is so incredibly fulfilling and know that we've helped we've we've identified the pain point and helped that person move past that mm. um, and and in a clinical sense and when I'm I'm practicing in clinic for me that's the same the same thing that the big the part that I love the most is being able to support that client and that pet move past that problem and and learn and grow and develop and as I said before the skills that we empower in 
in my role as a consultant with Crampton Consulting Group, the skills that we're empowering our individuals with are not things isolated to the clinic. They mm. are things that we can take forward into all aspects of life, uh, into all aspects of business, regardless of being in a veterinary clinic setting. And, and I think that that is just... It just blows my mind and just makes me be filled with awe and gratitude that I can be in a place and in a position to see that in others and support that in others. And I'm so fulfilled by that. Oh, that's amazing. And I know that you do leave a trail of happiness, whichever clinics you go to, because I can be speaking to somebody in like a North Queensland clinic, discussing like potential um, CPD, we might be looking at doing up here and they'll be like, Oh, Vicky from CCG came. So we know everything now. And she's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, it might have been that you've gone and done, you know, um, some some skills on, you know, dentals or that sort of thing. And now you've really helped that clinic because they've got vets who've got um, a little bit more time on their hands because their nursing team is able to come in and do the scale and clean and whatever it is. And, you know, then you've also got nurses that are empowered because they've got this whole new skill set that they're able to use. So um, I definitely, I, I understand what you're saying that, you know, you can turn around and say, okay, these people, you know, have now um, got a better workplace reality and maybe they've taken home some skills as well that they can use just in an everyday setting which must feel really nice to see that difference that you can make oh absolutely it's so amazing and thank you for you know for saying that it's it's things like that that lets you know that you've contributed and made a difference and that's for me that's that's the most important thing and I think you and Sue make such a great team together as well. I think um, what a dynamic combination. You know, I knew of Sue through CCG before you had joined there. And when I found out that you had gone across, I was like, yes, this will be amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that immensely. <laughs> now, I imagine this is a little bit different over the last six months, but what's your routine when you wake up in the morning? How do you set yourself up for the day? I have a non-negotiable routine. Um, I truly believe in setting your mindset up for success for the day. And this is actually something, whenever I do anesthetic training, uh, I always, always, always talk about this first before we focus on anything else in the training. And anyone who's listening who who may have been involved in an an anesthesia training with me will know this because it is so, it makes such a difference whether you walk into that clinic and you feel empowered and you're walking on sunshine and you have a can-do attitude and you know the day's going to be great or whether you walk into that clinic and you're running a little bit late, you're hungry, you're tired, Mm. you don't feel great, uh, things just don't go to plan. Mm -hmm. And so setting a morning routine is non-negotiable for me. And the first thing that I do, I always set two alarms and the first alarm is my wake-up alarm. The second alarm, uh, and then sorry, so I wake up and then in between those two alarms, I will just lie in bed and I will set my mindset today and focus on a, a minimum of three things that I'm just that I'm just grateful for, that I really appreciate. And it can be things like today I've got the opportunity to coach so and so. Today I get to spend some time with my partner's kids, my stepkids. Today I have the most comfortable bed and I'm so relaxed and I'm so lucky to be in this warm, cozy environment right now. It could be the, the really tiny things. And then my second alarm is the indicator to, to, to hop up. But when you take that appreciation into your day, that gratitude into your day, for me that's a transformative thing. 
Um, the other thing that's a non-negotiable for me is just to get moving, and part of that is just for uh, health and looking after after some different health things. But for me, that's swimming. Um, and anyone who's in, uh, so I'm in Brisbane. Anyone who's in the southern southern states is going to laugh at me, but um, it's been very cold here over winter. <laughs> um, I'm at the pool, and it's sometimes five degrees, and it's just it's just not okay. That is um, not Brisbane. <laughs> yeah. Anything below 24 degrees is just not okay. Brr. It's freezing cold. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's it's set my mindset with gratitude, hop up, uh, head to the pool, um, and, and then in the pool, just focus on the on the goals for the day, set my success criteria up for success, and and then just ease into it and let my mind relax and recharge. And, and then when I ca- you know, can come back and have a shower and, and whatever else I need to do for the day, just knowing that I, I have the the mindset equipped for whatever challenges that day may bring. That's amazing. And again, it's another thing that makes sense to me because whenever I've seen you, you know, be it at conference or somewhere, you always bound in like so happy and so positive and so, oh, hi, it's so great to see you or I appreciate this that you did so much or, you know, I'm always like, what is she on? (laughs) (laughs) I want some of that. gratitude and, and appreciation and I just I, I just think I'm so I'm so lucky to know uh, the people that I know to have been able to meet the people that I've met and, and the experiences that I've had and I just am so lucky and one of the things uh, the other things that I do is before I walk into any particular situation I'll just take a moment to pause and go who do I need to be to be my best self in this situation and that's always different you know I need to take a different tone or a different approach when working mm. with a clinic on resilience than mm. I do when working with a clinic on uh, looking at their P&L, the business side of things. And and there's mm. just two, two very different tones. Mm. Or when I'm when I'm facilitating a, a day-long technical skills training, you know that's again a different a different approach, and and I'm still the same person, but just changing the tone to meet the needs of the situation. And and when I just take that moment to think, who do I need to be to be my best self in this situation? It just lets me make sure I can bring the right energy, that I'm focused on the right things, that I can I can really. Uh, take the tools that I need into that situation to get the best outcome for whomever it might be I'm, I'm dealing with in that moment. My mind is blown. This is like amazing. It makes sense though because if you're if you're writing, you always adjust the way you're writing to your audience, yeah? Like, Absolutely. you know, if you're putting something, if you're writing something about why you need to worm your dog, you will write it very differently if your audience is the pet owner to if your audience is a student vet nurse or a veterinary nurse or a vet. Um, so, yeah, or, or to like a child, you know, you would adjust the way that you're writing and explaining that. So it makes a lot of sense to adjust everything about the way that you're going to approach a situation that you're walking into depending on who is the audience or who are you engaging with and what is the outcome that you're hoping to achieve. So that's a really generous thing to do. It's such a great analogy, actually. I love that. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, that, that that's, that's my personal approach. It's our way, not, not the way, um, but it just allows me to set myself up to to know that I can give 
the best part of me to to the person who uh, I'm dealing with, and they deserve that. You know, everyone I, I get to work with, I have so much respect for, uh, and and so much uh, gratitude for, and I'm so lucky to be able to be in that situation. And so it's important that I can can give that person the best of me. Now I have to say, everyone is human, right? I'd never get it perfect, <laughs> and so I I. The, the flip side of that is being able to have the self-awareness, which is one of the pillars of emotional intelligence, to go, well, actually, uh, I'm starting to get a little crusty here, to use one of Sue Crampton's favourite words. I'm, mm. I'm starting to get a bit crusty, and, and that means that it's time for a reset. Mm. And maybe that is giving someone who inspires me a call. Maybe that is listening to a radio vet nurse. Maybe that that's, you know, taking a, an extra long swim or going for a swim mm. in the afternoon as well or mm -hmm. whatever that, that reset time might be but it's important to to be able to recognize when uh, I'm not able to give the best of me to the person who deserves it and, and acknowledge that maybe I'm getting a little crusty <laughs> I love that uh, self I was thinking self-awareness as you were explaining it I was thinking god she's so self-aware so it's interesting that you're saying that this is one of these pillars and I also think if I was asked to describe you one of the words I would always probably use is somebody who has a lot of gratitude so that's making sense too with what you're saying and apart from this this setting of your intentions and the swimming what other weekly or daily habit makes your life better um, I think uh, one of the things for me is having the opportunity to collaborate or work with people who inspire me Mm. And I always, always aim every week to be able to have an opportunity to do that. And I'm lucky that I've, I've uh, been able to meet so many people who do inspire me. But, but it's, it's things like this, um, you know, being mm. able to sit down and talk, talk to you, Kat, on this platform that uh, is so empowering for me. Or even things like, you know, I have a difficult call client, and, and I just would appreciate some mentoring from Sue on, on the best approach to take to a particular situation then mm. collaborating on that mm. and I think it's it's important that we're able to create some space for ourselves to be able to do that and in a clinic we often go to work and and we deal with we work with the same team all the time especially if we're in a small clinic mm. uh, if we're in a really large clinic that that's obviously different but sometimes we work with the same people for really long periods of time mm. um, and we see them for really long parts of our day and so we forget to have that uh, collaboration around something that might be new or exciting or uh, energizing or might be a, pro a passion project or um, whatever it might be and and now that time is even uh, tighter in clinic there are so many clinics that are in massive amounts of growth uh, driven partially by by pet owners being at home with their pets and, and all the mm. different factors. Uh, we know time in clinic is a huge issue. And so it might be a little thing like making sure that I can have a five-minute cup of coffee, coffee with one of the other nurses who um, whose passion for uh, a particular area, anesthesia, might inspire me and mm. just being able to collaborate with them. Uh, and, and so for me, that's one of the big things that I try to do at least once a week is just reach out to, to, to that person who inspires me and go, how can we work together on this? Or, or um, I'd appreciate some advice or you know, even just a general chat. How are you? What are you working on? Tell me about you. Mm. Uh, that, that sort of thing is really important to me. Mm, 
Definitely. And if we look at even some of the big collaboration projects, like um, I had a guest on the show, um, Jeff from the Vet Tech Cafe, and he's collaborating um, with another vet tech who's literally on the other side of the States. And so I think now we can find these people that we have interests in common with through so many different platforms and uh, geography is not, not a boundary anymore. So there are the people that we work with, um, but there are other people that we can just find out there and say, hey, you're really into internal medicine as well. Can we collaborate on something or can we have like a just a, an online chat and a coffee one day? Absolutely. I'm really lucky when I sat my VTS exam, uh, I sat my exam with um, an amazing tech from Canada, an amazing tech from England, and another tech from America, and and then me from Australia. And so we really are like the start of a hilarious joke. Um, but we <laughs> Walking have a into WhatsApp. a bar together? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, and so we we have this have a, just have a WhatsApp group and and chat on there Perfect. every single day. Yeah, and we are all in very different environments. Even our clinic environments are, are very very different. Um, and it's just so cool to hear mm. some of the things you know the the. The uh, veterinary nurse in England. She works in a, in a university setting, and she's exclusively uh, works in a weight loss clinic for pets using oh, wow. scans and things like that. And it's amazing. She's an amazing, amazing nurse. And and you know the American tech. She's um, works in a specialist centre, and the Canadian one. She's uh, both a manager of of a general practice clinic, and and it's just really incredibly diverse. And um, we have so much to talk about. And and some days when I I can go, I'm just, I'm a bit tired, I'm a bit crusty today. I, all I need to do is just send them a WhatsApp message and be like, what's everyone up to? And mm. we're so, it's so easy to keep, to find like-minded people and connect with like-minded people regardless of location. That is such a good example. And I should mention, there's so much to mention about you. And so it slipped my mind already to say you are Australia's first and so far only VTS nutrition. Is that right? That's right. Although we are three weeks away from uh, two of my Australian mentee nurses submitting their packets. So hope, fingers crossed, we might be welcoming some more uh, pretty soon. I, I have my fingers and toes crossed for them. Such a such a great um, area, I think, for nurses to really drill down into and learn more about. I think it's a really important part of the vet nursing role and one that we can really run with. So we're going to touch on some of those um, little tidbits later. But firstly, do you have any strange habits or superstitions? Oh, so many. Uh, <laughs> I think I look. I think that's a natural part of being a nurse. And I have to say, uh, I've grew up in a clinic, so I um, have so many, um, all the standard ones, you know, we never use the Q word. Um, mm-hmm. Friday afternoon is doom and gloom. We never mm-hmm. ever want to be working on a full moon. Mm-hmm. I'm super superstitious about flights. Um, I hate flight, despite the fact that I take so many pre-COVID, took so many flights. I hate flying. I have a huge, really? huge flight anxiety. You're always on planes. Always. So always. how do you get around that? Oh, look, it's a part and par of life. The, you can only, the only thing in life you can control is yourself. Yeah. Um, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And so um, I just, you know, make sure I breathe, make sure I stay rational. A lot of anxiety stems from a place of, of uh, things that are irrational. Um, but I do have some, some uh, 
particular uh, habits around that. I always like to take a cup of tea on board and, mm-hmm. and you know, just various different little things. So oh, we could talk about this forever. So many. But there's part and part of growing up in a clinic and being a nurse. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed that you're staring this fear in the face so constantly. So um, I have my own funny things around flying because my, you won't want to hear this, but my grandfather died test piloting a plane called the vampire. He was a pilot with wow. the Navy. So he used to land wow. pl- planes on the backs of the ships, but he was, yeah, test piloting a plane and, and died. So therefore oh. my mom was 18 months old when this happened. So therefore she was a very, very, very anxious flyer because she was always told daddy went to heaven in an airplane. And so I grew up flying with my mum, who would be, you know, before the flight, in and out of the bathroom constantly, um, on the flight, like screaming and holding my hand across, you know, across the aisle or sobbing or, you know, <laughs> lying down in the aisle, like doing all sorts of wild things. So although I didn't have my own fear of flying, I definitely had this neuropathway kind of wire somewhere in the back of my mind that this is a really um, significant, scary, emotional thing to do. Um, but it's in direct conflict with this other thing I have, which is I love getting on a plane and going somewhere. And Trish Farry and I both love getting to the airport. Just love being at an airport. Like absolutely love it. We'll get there hours and hours early and just hang out. But every now every now and again, it creeps up on me and I will notice just this panic rising on a plane. And I'll be like, Oh, oh God, I'm, I'm like having a full on panic attack. And I have to just tell myself, this is why it's happening. It's actually okay. You're probably safer on this plane than you were in the car getting here. But um, yeah, just every now and again, I'm like, oh God, it's happening and we cannot get out of the plane. Yeah. Yeah, I I empathise with that so so much. And I, I agree there's so much. I love getting to the airport. I, I think it's it's exciting. Yeah, getting to explore new places is amazing, and and it's just part and par of life. You can't, uh, you can't. For me, I can't avoid it. it it's part of my job, and mm. just just breathe and and know it's okay. Focus on the rationality and. Mm, and you know we're all human much more so than if if you I just would never have imagined that you would say that because so many times you're emailing you know in in um our uh, VNCA Queensland division group saying oh sorry I'm getting on an airplane in five minutes guys I you know I'll get back to you on this in a second or whatever and you're always at airports and on airplanes so I really take my hat (laughs) off to you that you're not like well I just don't do this thing you're like okay I just do this thing two out of three weeks of the month uh, two to three weeks out of every month (laughs) I've never been one to to run away from a challenge yeah, stare it in the face. I agree. Now, I know you love innovation. So is there a purchase made by you or your employer that's positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? Oh, I could list so many. Um, I, from back in the day when we first got our multi-parameter, um, I love, love, love our hot dog warmer. Um, if mm-hmm. it, it's, oh, it's just the best. I love... Yep can remember when we got our pet map one of the most transformational things was back in 2002 when we got our dental x-ray machine Mm -hmm. and at the time it was like dental x-rays what is that Mm -hmm. um and now it's a commonplace (laughs) thing but back then it it was hard to access training on how to use it and um, we're very lucky to have 
uh, Aaron Forsyth and Gary Wilson come into the clinic and show us how to use it. And so that, yeah, that, you know, oh, I cannot go past my esophageal stethoscope. I think that's just one of the greatest things ever. But in recent, uh, it, it's funny, like, you know, asking in recent memory because it's, um, very different when, when you've been around for a while, but I think one of the most valuable things that, that I've our clinic has invested in is iPads um, and getting being able to better, best use technology and that can be... <laughs> okay, hang on. You mean I-P-A-D. I thought you were E-Y-E-P-A-D for a minute and I'm like, <laughs> iPads. iPads. What do the iPads do? <laughs> oh, dear. Pirate, pirate dogs oh, everywhere. Oh, <laughs> dear. All right. Okay, don't worry. I'm back with the program. All right, iPads, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our, our letter iPads, and I yes. know it's such a simple, uh, such a commonplace thing these days. Every uh, child and their mm. parent has an iPad, but it's there's so many different ways to use them. And so it's things like being able to film our own clinic videos on how to pill a cat or yeah. how to um, make, how to create a friendly and safe environment for that cat to transport to the clinic so it's low stress or how to administer ear medication or whatever mm. it might be. Um, some how information around why this diet is suitable for their pet and being able to, uh, to film that and have that as a video file for our uh, more visual learners or an mm. auditory file. Mm-hmm. We have some of, some of our clients um, who are actually blind and we look after their uh, guide dogs. And, and so for them, yes, we can, can communicate in an auditory manner like we would in a normal consult, mm. but it can be really valuable to say, we're just going to go and, and run this, this uh, ear smear just take a moment um, while we're gone, listen to this this video around ear disease or whatever it might be and mm. and we can, you know, we'll, we, we can have a talk about it again when we return into the consult room. It's things like getting our clients to have self-check-in when they get into uh, reception. It's, it's um, they're so just being able to use products like SmartFlow and there's so mm. many different applications now mm-hmm. uh, that we can really we can really open up it's it's things like being able to record the take a video of the pet when they come into the console for mobility issues and then being able to take a video of the pet six months later and Mm. impose those side side by side and go Mm -hmm. to the client this was day one this is you know week 26 this is where we're at look Mm -hmm. at the difference and isn't that amazing Mm, Um, there's apps out there where you can ask the client to take a video of their pet doing xyz and you can actually then measure you know the angles at which they're walking and, and different things and to me that is so cool so it's such a you know such a boring piece of technology in its own way but there are so many different ways to apply it I know and it's a really great idea if if anybody's got the time you know within their role to do something like this but you can just google search how do I make a YouTube channel there'll be tons of YouTube videos on how to do that ironically Um, and you can just have a channel that you load up with all these videos for your own clinic you know you just point the camera at a vet or a nurse and say show us how to pill a cat or you know talk about this particular issue and like you say so that when you need to take um, the the patient out and you know do whatever or you know you're running to do the pathology like you say you can just open it up to your YouTube channel on the iPad and say oh you might find this interesting while we're gone 
on. And that's a really great and simple value add to have. So, uh, and, and I remember the, the night that we did the tour of, um, was it VSS with Lales? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it wasn't VSS. It was another specialist. Uh, uh, BVSC. Pra- Yes, with Lales. And I remember that was the first time I saw um, a vet nurse sitting in the treatment room on an iPad, you know, filling in a cage card or whatever she was doing. And I was like, huh, this changes what a workstation looks like because she was just sitting at an empty treatment table on a stool, um, smiling at us as we all, you know, trooped around looking at things and just filling something in. And I was like, ah, she doesn't have to be sitting at a desktop computer fighting for one of the few workspaces that there is and, you know, around where there's people talking or doing whatever. Like she can just go to a quiet space and go boom, 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 boom. Here's what I've done with the patient. And so that, that sort of blew my mind too. And we're on the cusp now of being able to take that one step further where we're seeing new multi-parameters and different things that uh, automat- that that via Bluetooth will connect into that iPad and will automatically send the patient's information through to that device and then automatically save to the cloud. And wow. when we think about the legal requirements around keeping cage cards and mm. medical records and patient mm. data, it's so valuable to be able to have our multi-parameter go, this is a heart rate at every moment mm. through this anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. And that will then also alert us when there's issues and, and things like that. And that's a really, you know, we're on the verge of starting to see these technologies come out in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's obviously an expense to that, but but we know that uh, the flow on effects is that we'll start to see them here, here soon. Um, we're seeing pet wearables in the States be a really emerging technology and, and they're more than just tracking the movement of their pets where we're being able to have a look at how many minutes they spend exercising. What does mm. that mean for their daily energy requirements? What does that mean for their mobility? Where are the areas where they're spending the most time? How much are they toileting? All these different sorts of things. We're looking mm. at pet wearables that will start to be able able to manage and monitor heart rates and rest Mm. rates and things like that. And that Mm. can all be sent remotely into an iPad and saved to the cloud. And that is hugely, hugely valuable. And I just, Mm. I can't can't wait for for all of that to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, there will be an expense associated, but there will also be a lot of time saved. I mean, it's very labor intensive to sit there, you know, doing anesthesia, monitoring, but also recording it and then also making sure that that information is getting saved against the patient's file and and that sort of thing. So if we can if we can cut some corners there and and skip some of those steps, then that's going to save people's time and enable them to focus more on monitoring the patient or whatever it is that they're doing. Exactly. They'll really enable that next level of patient care. And we in the veterinary industry are a service-driven industry. And when we're talking about how can we increase the services to our clients, this this is how. And we there are more, uh, more millennial pet owners in the market now uh, that are expecting this sort of service because this is a service that I'm getting uh, in other industries mm, and, mm. and obviously not directly relational. You know, I don't put a monitor on my child and go, uh, oh, look, this is what they, their movements at school today are. But we know that we are we are experiencing these new technologies. If you think, Kat, how many technologies there are out there now to support mums with bubs as just mm. one micro example, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, um, our millennials and then the Gen Z is coming through. This is the their universe and the world that they're experiencing and, and we need to make sure we're keeping up and, and it's happening and it's exciting. 
Absolutely. And if you've got um, a millennial with this app and they're at work um, looking at their pet, it could be a game changer because they can be sitting there seeing this data and, okay, this is a time of day that my pet is usually not sedentary and why is the um, respiratory rate now out of normal limits? I might go home at lunchtime or I might call my vet now and see if I can bring him in instead of what we see in regional areas, which is when you have your vet on call, the phone will always ring at like 5.15, 5.30 when people are getting <laughs> home from work and going, oh, why is this funny thing happening with my pet? Whereas if they've got these, um, and that's no good for the pet owner because they're paying for an after-hours consult exactly. and th- they've potentially deteriorated throughout the day. It's not ideal for the vet who's got to go in. It's not ideal for the vet's wife who's like, great, I'm doing dinner and baths and everything on my own again. Fantastic. Exactly. Um, or the vet's husband and, you know, the female vet's going in or whatever it is. But, you know, that could be a game changer because they're they're able to say something's not right here, going to get onto this consult sooner rather than later. So I love that. Mm, absolutely. Now, before we take a quick break, can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory? Uh, well, I have to say, I think um, one of my biggest ones is I'm, I'm dyslexic. It took me, I was very, very lucky um, to receive a lot of um, support to learn to read and, and that sort of thing as a child. And, and um, but education and study and that sort of thing, it's, never, it's not an easy thing for me. Um, wow. It doesn't mean that it's, it's impossible. It's just a little bit more of a challenge and I love a challenge. So mm, perfect. Mm, um, mm. But, but the epitome for me is I, I managed to get my degree and, and I studied my cert for at the same time and, and then transferring that through through all of the CPD, et cetera, I've done in my career, the pinnacle of that meant that I was in a position to then go on and do my VTS. Mm-hmm. And for me, getting the packet together and the study involved in that, having it passed was like a hugely transformative moment, like, wow. And then mm. this the level of study and research involved in prepping for the exam was was an immense task and and flying over to the states and sitting the exam I was just it was a crazy really just a crazy experience and mm. and then finding out I was actually uh, giving a workshop in uh, down in the veterinary training center in Melbourne and I was halfway through this workshop and I started to see that the messages come through on the WhatsApp group of oh yeah I've passed and that's really great and so I jumped into my email in in the morning tea break of this workshop and found out that I'd passed the exam and just <laughs> oh it was it was in it was in insane and so for me I think that's that summarizes my determination and my response to challenges always always a very challenge uh, driven person. That's amazing. I know from speaking to other people who've done their VTS that you just have to push yourself right to the edge there. So, um, I can't imagine, I can only imagine the satisfaction in then going, yes, and I passed and I did it and I've done it too with, um, you know, with managing my dyslexia from, you know, from when I was quite young and to, you know, even to today. So, and I would not have known that about you. So, um, (laughs) you certainly have risen to the challenge and I congratulate you on that. Thank you. 
Well, you happy if we come back in a moment? I, um, I'm not going to crack open another strawberry milk, but we'll have a quick break and come back. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilkeen. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilkeen contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilkeen probably won't help these, but it works well for many pets in stressful situations. Worth a try, right? Hey, Kat Robinson here. You know me from Radio Vet Nurse, but I'm also the co-founder, co-owner and general manager of ReadyVet. ReadyVet is a veterinary surgery in far north Queensland. My husband's a vet and we really, really, really appreciate our vet nurses. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of passionate about nursing too. So when I told Matt I wanted to start Radio Vet Nurse to celebrate vet nurses and tell our story, we agreed that ReadyVet would make this financially possible. So thanks, ReadyVet. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Vic. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? Uh, I think the best advice that I, or the advice that I find myself giving all the time is to not get sucked into the whirlwind of things or to get sucked into the overwhelm. And new nurses will always say to me, there's so much to learn and Mm. I feel like I'm not doing a good job and there's just... There's, I feel like there's all this pressure to be able to perform at the level of a qualified nurse. And I always say, why? Mm. And it's, just, it's just an overwhelming amount of information to know. And it's important to, that we are able to reframe that and go, well, actually, that's part of what makes medicine so exciting and that you will never, ever, ever know everything. Mm. And that's, it's okay to take your time and to make sure that, that what you're, you're learning, uh, new skills and information in a really thorough manner, then you're just rushing through it to be able to tick a box. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's okay. And so one of the best things that, that I always advise for new nurses is just to break things down. And so it's not that you need to know everything about anesthesia straight away. It's Mm. that maybe we just need to know how to do a thorough exam. Mm. And there's a lot of nurses out there that struggle to to oscillate the heart properly. And that's Mm. okay too. You know, let's just focus on that one thing. Mm. The next thing, let's just focus on understanding what pre-meds are. What are their adverse reactions? How can I reverse them? What are my go-to drugs? What drugs do we use in this clinic? Why do we use them? You know, just make sure that we're learning one thing at a time and break it down into small sections and know that it's okay to take your time. And I think it's one of the things that I love about nutrition is that there is so much out there. And every week I'm I'm part of a, uh, I call it the Nutrition Nerds Journal Club, um, which I I hope none of the other guys uh, hear this, but every week it's um, a group of of board-certified veterinary nutritionists and some veterinary technician specialists in nutrition. And uh, at 5 a.m. our time on Thursday mornings, uh, it's run in, in the States, we sit down and have a look at a new piece of research that's come out in nutrition. And it's always, always changing. And we review the, the article and there's always just so much more to learn and know. And that's just in one specialty, mm. let alone everything else. So it's okay to take your time. 
And I think once you've been in the game for a while, you relish the fact that there's always more to learn, whereas it can be very anxiety inducing early on in your career. Um, So it kind of flips at some point. At some point you're like, wow, this thing that I know nothing about is going to happen and I'm going to get to learn about it Um, instead of being like, oh, my God, I I don't know what's going on. I've had um, student nurses say to me, oh, I need to have more exposure to surgery because I've got an assignment coming up where I've got to know anesthesia. And I'm like, what part of anesthesia? Mm. (laughs) And they're like, anesthesia. And that's where I think you've got to trust in the package Mm. and the way it's been designed. And I'll say, can I have a look at your assignment? And then I'll have a look at it and I'll say, no, you need to know how to perform a leak check. Yes. That's like you know, one little part of anesthesia. Don't worry, you're not being asked to go on in and, um, you know, do woe to go of this ASA grade three patient and um, it's all in your hands and it's on your head if something goes wrong. You just need to know how to do a leak check. Right, let's focus on that. So I think that's excellent advice of breaking it down and calming down and reading what is what is the package asking of me which is a good segue into advice you'd give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies Mm, absolutely and and in the same vein what I I love about the example that you just gave Kat is that that student reached out and said hey can it can you please help me with this and Mm. that you as their mentor took the time to go well actually let's sit down let's have a look at this and let's break it down Mm. and for all of our student nurses that's the best advice that I can give is please reach out to your mentor Mm. Um, for anyone who's undertaking their VTS it's the same advice reach out Mm. to your mentor uh, to your trainer at your training provider and just know that you're not alone ask them to sit down with you and just break it into tiny bite-sized chunks Mm. and at the end of the day even if if over a course of a week you just read one or two pages about how to do that leak test and the next day you read one or two pages and the next day you read one or two pages by the end of the week you've got that skill fully covered you're well Mm. informed you know how to do it and Mm -hmm. so sometimes we we don't reach out to those people who are there to train us to mentor us and and we can feel alone and and that can be when when we start to go oh this is getting really 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 hard yeah and when you reach out to that mentor they can say cool although this is not what you're doing today I can get you to come in and do the leak check on all six surgeries that are on our list and then you're going to go back out and do whatever else it is that you're doing today you know you you might not be in theater all day but you can come in and you can do the leak check with me five times and then by the end of it you'll be doing the leak check on your own Absolutely. And the other value in that is is uh, allowing your team around you to help you to plan your studies. And by that I mean uh, sometimes uh, I appreciate that in, in the package there's a need to, to do a more complicated uh, surgery case or, or a more complicated medical case or whatever it might be. And so sometimes we can go, well, in our general practice clinic, we don't see that many orthopedic surgeries, but I can see that that over the next two months you need to have this case done. So let's leave it on the radar and then mm. actually we have this patient that's coming in in four weeks or three mm-hmm. weeks or whenever it might be for mm-hmm. their procedure. Um, so let's make sure you're rostered on that day or you are available to come in in your own time and, and make sure that we're, you're actively involved in that day. And we're scheduling our workflow uh, to make sure that that's possible, whereas what can sometimes happen is we don't reach out to the mentor and, and yep. or, or to the team and, and then all 
of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I need to be involved in this case, but we mm. haven't put the, the clinic structures around that. We haven't planned for it internally with our workflow. We mm -hmm. haven't managed the efficiencies. And so it can become uh, more of a challenge to support that student. And so it's great to sit down at the team and go, you know, over the next four weeks, this is what I need to focus on and let the team be a part of that journey. That's so important. You need to say, I am doing ClinPath now. That is the subject I'm doing so that then everyone in the team can say, right, when the next patient is having um, a, you know, a workup that involves a blood smear, can so-and-so please watch that um, happening? Whereas if you leave it to the last minute and go, oh, my blood smear video is due in two days, then you have to be like, okay, let's get someone's dog bring it in exactly. from home <laughs> let's take some blood let's do a smear we're going to be doing this after work you know but if yes. you say at the beginning of that module I'm going to need to do this this and this everyone can keep an eye out for, for those situations arising and going oh run into consult too watch what's happening Absolutely. The other thing I think is really important for student nurses is to remember that they are a part of the team and they do have a place and a voice and, the, and a role and that's really powerful. Mm, and student mm -hmm. nurses will sometimes say to me, I feel like I, I get in the way or I feel like I'm, I struggle to understand where I fit within the structure of the team. And even if, if your roles are those more kennel hand focused roles, cleaning cages or washing or uh, mm. cleaning the ET tubes or whatever, that is still a critical part of getting the clinic to work properly mm -hmm. and when you have that patient where you need that towel and there's mm -hmm. no clean towels that is an issue or you need that ET tube in an emergency situation and they're not cleaned that is a life or death situation I promise you if you're if you're a student vet nurse and you are sick or away on holidays for a while your team will notice and they totally. will miss you and they totally. will be like I cannot wait until so-and-so is back Absolutely. And we sometimes get imposter syndrome. And it's things like, you know, some of the sometimes it can be valuable too to talk about it with your team what what is my role and how can I support you and, and proactively ask questions. And it's things like if your team's ever doing CPR on a patient, why and you're a student nurse and you don't know what's going on and you, you don't know how to help, it's not the right environment to be like, hey, what can I do? So mm. what you can do is just pull out your iPhone and just set a timer for two minutes mm. and just keep everyone on track for a two minute cycle. And that is so such a simple thing, but can make such a difference to the outcome of that patient and so sometimes mm. it can be just knowing how important the simple tasks are they're, they're definitely really important so I agree and one of my nurses says you know it's a lot of work with the juniors but we need them just as much as they need us and it's, it's very true now I feel like you have so much to offer and I've been pulling you in lots of different directions um, in terms of the information I'm trying to get from you but I really want to focus on your um, your nutrition I guess um, skill set with this next question and you can feel free to you know tap into other answers but I want to know bad or old recommendations um, that you think that should be replaced with more modern or useful information Oh, I have so many and I feel like nutrition is the landmine uh, <laughs> of all landmines to, to ask this question about. Um, there is so many misconceptions and um, one of my favourite is that myth around feeding chicken and rice and we should just feed chicken and rice to our gastrointestinal patients and um, well, I, I could I could talk about just that for an entire hour but it's so important that we touch on that so that's a good place to start if that works for you Kat 
That's where I want to start because when I read that in an Avian uh, J, it was months ago actually, um, I was like, oh my God, I need to know like more about this because I cannot count how many times I've told that to clients. Yes. And it is so commonplace. So let's start with the basics. So the client comes in, they have their patient, their patient's got gastro and we say, look, just feed chicken and rice. Number one, we never ever tell them how much to feed. So automatically Mm. the client just guess and they always ask how much to feed and we always say, oh, about their normal meal amount. that, that's actually not how nutrition works. Mm. Not all volumes of food contain the same amount of calories. So automatically we, we're not considering their daily energy requirements or um, how the, the disease process may affect that. The next thing we do is we say, okay, look, feed this chicken and rice, which means that the client has to uh, leave the clinic, they hop in their car, they take their pet home, they drop their pet off. They then hop back in the car, they drive to the supermarket, They go into the supermarket, they have a look for some chicken, which is, you know, $9 a kilo, whatever, get some rice. They hop back in the car, drive all the way back home. Meanwhile, they're sick pets at, at home doing whatever. They then take their groceries into the house. They then have to chop up the raw chicken, which we know there's uh, the risk of contamination anytime we handle uh, raw meat, which the raw feeding conversation is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. We then, um, they, they then run the risk of feeding the chicken raw, which is a really big issue, or, or they, they then need to cook that chicken in some means. They need to cook that rice in some means. They then feed that to the pet. Now, that meal that they're feeding to the pet is actually deficient in 17 essential uh, nutrients, mm. uh, vitamins and minerals. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's not ideal for that pet. Mm. Whereas alternatively, we could say to, to that client, look, uh, we need to change the diet of the pet. This is why. Um, this Do a quick calculation and work out what that daily energy requirement is and then how much to feed and say, this food, I need you to feed half a tin that client then purchases, you know, three, four, five tins from the clinic, mm. goes home, uh, takes their pet inside, opens that tin of food and feeds that pet. Mm. So there's a couple of things here. One is the massive nutrient imbalance. Two is the calorie imbalance. And then the convenience for the for the client of, mm. of just being able to feed from the can without having to uh, go into the supermarket, etc. It's often cheaper to feed a pre-formulated uh, prescription diet than it is to go and buy chicken and rice and, and feed mm. that. Mm. And the time, the time and the labor involved oh. with doing that too. Absolutely. And the fact that, that it's imbalanced in, in 17 different um, vitamins and minerals is is actually a really huge issue. We, we know that the um, intestines are responsible for the microbiome and we're starting to learn more and more about how important the microbiome is in the overall health of our pet. And mm-hmm. when we have gastrointestinal disease, the microbiome is fundamentally affected by that, um, along with the lining of the intestines, etc. Um, and so... Yes, the, the, the point of feeding chicken and rice is that it's easily digestible. 
but digestibility mm. is intrinsically linked to the quality of the ingredient. And when we're feeding a pre-formulated super premium diet, uh, prescription brand diet, then that the palatability and the the uh, bioavailability, the digestibility of those ingredients is fundamentally uh, better than what it would be with chicken and rice, plus is balanced to meet the pet's needs, is going to support um, tissue regeneration and healing um, and, and uh, help that patient to feel less nauseous. And um, there's a whole lot of, of technical um, nerdy stuff that I could go mm. into there that, that I would love to, but... Um, I, I'm sure the, your audience would find quite quite boring. It is so technical and complex and I don't have my, you know, VTS nutrition, but I did do the Hills Nutritional Advocate course as part nice. of my Cert 4 and that just opened my eyes to how complex it is. It's not just a matter of saying here are the food groups, have something out of each. It's a matter of saying um, what do you need to feed in addition to this? And, you know, I even know from having low iron in pregnancy, like, okay, yes. you need to have some vitamin C with your iron if you want to absorb your iron. And, and all these sorts of things. Um, so it is almost like mixing up a potion. But if we have a client who is um, taking their pet home after a consult or maybe after a period of hospitalization, I can see that could be easy to say, look, this is this prescription diet. This is why you should feed this. What if we're in the situation where either they are resistant to buying um, the prescription diet or they're ringing at like five minutes to five on a Tuesday my dog's been vomiting all day, blah, blah, blah. And we're saying, okay, either you can come for an after hours consult. No, thanks. I don't want to. Um, okay. Or we can book you in for eight o'clock tomorrow or nine o'clock tomorrow. In the meantime, tonight you should feed your dog X. What is the answer there? Uh, that's such a complicated question because it really depends, but it's a great question because it absolutely happens. Um, I, I always, always, always advocate for best medicine and it's important that that in the profession we remember that we are not respond we are responsible to advocate for the pet's needs. We are not responsible for the pet. Mm-hmm. And there's a very clear distinction. And so mm-hmm. we always need to be saying what the best course of treatment is for that pet. Um, however, acknowledging that that pet is still legally the property of that owner and that's okay. The other thing that's important to remember is that it's never us versus them. Mm. It's never us against the owner. We are a team and caring mm-hmm. for this pet is a joint venture. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of my, my go-to is to always go, ah, that's okay. Um, just let, help me understand why is coming in this afternoon not an option? Why mm-hmm. won't that work for you? Mm-hmm. And they may go, oh, because I've got the kids, because of the price, because of whatever. Mm-hmm. In which case you can go, okay, that's great. Thanks for letting me know. Let's work out the best way to overcome that barrier. Mm-hmm. And it could be now we have so many options available at our fingertips. So it could be, oh, that's okay. If you are crazy with the kids, um, could we just do a 15-minute um, telehealth consult where mm-hmm. we actually zoom in? So I'll be in the clinic, you be in your home, I'll just or, or even just FaceTime you. Um, and sure, we can't take the patient's temperature and we can't listen to their heart, but in the interim, that's still going to be better than not seeing that patient at all. Mm, mm. And so that might be a way to, to just get a sense of what's going on. Um, there's things that we can do in terms of um, setting up an after-hours collection point so they can still order and pay for that phone, food over the phone and mm-hmm. then come after hours to still mm-hmm. collect that that's a good uh, point. product from an after-hours pickup point. 
because you've often got someone coming in to check on animals twice a day anyway, even if they're not after an after-hours consult, you've got a vet or a nurse coming in to, you know, just make sure all the patients are fine so they can pop something in the mailbox or whatever that may be. Exactly, absolutely. And it's things now like we, we're living in such a technolo- technologically enabled uh, environment and, and so think of an Airbnb, right? When mm. you, you book an Airbnb, um, very often you don't actually meet the host. The host will give mm-hmm. you the code to a lockbox which has a key exactly. in it. Exactly. It's exactly so what no my mind went to. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. our, and, our, and consumers are used to that. You know, we do mm. that with our Coles collection, with our parcels. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no reason why we can't follow that model. And if they're coming at nine o'clock the next day, then perhaps the takeaway is that instead of saying tonight, feed your dog boiled chicken and rice, instead say, well, we'll see you at nine o'clock tomorrow. Um, Look, he can just have his normal dinner tonight. Sorry, tell me what normal dinner is. Oh, it's leftovers of dinner and some gravy and some whatever. Um, Have you just got normal dog food? Could we just feed some normal dog food tonight? And don't worry if he doesn't want to eat a whole lot of it. Exactly. And at the end of the day, if it is uh, is just one uh, one night, then look, it's probably, is it ideal? Of course not. But is it going to be okay? Probably. And then mm. we can get that patient set up appropriately after that. And there are some amazing prescription diets that I adore that um, I often think, oh, the client might balk at this. But then when I explain what it is, and I sort of try to, like we were saying before, you know what your who your audience is and you're going to explain it differently so I'm not going to explain that this um that this recumbent diet is um it has this and that and these are the nutrients and these are the vitamins and the minerals I'm going to say like when you were sick and your mum made you chicken soup um (laughs) that's kind of what this does but it also is important you know because it's going to support them in these ways and that sort of thing so you know I sort of will will touch on what it does contain but I also will just put it into plain terms why why you would possibly want to buy this for your pet and they go oh of course you'd want to have that when you're coming home sick from this or that Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong for any client who does, is really interested and does want to know uh, the science behind it. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, unfortunately, this is actually really complicated. We don't have time to go into this in our consult today or, or, or over the phone or whatever it might be. So let me actually email you some resources mm. and the research behind this so that you can read this. Exactly. Um, and mm-hmm. sometimes we do focus too much on those features and not how that product will actually benefit the client. And, and one of the best things we can do is exactly that, Kat, and say this is how this product will, will benefit the patient, this is how it will benefit you, and mm. let me email you the technical information that's it's behind that and then you can let me know what questions you have when I give you a call tomorrow to check in on Fluffy. Exactly, exactly. Um, And did you want to touch on any more of these areas as well because I'm sure you have a few. Oh, there is there are so many. So it's things like um, the the movement in the consumer the pet uh, consumer industry towards beg diets, and that's what we call a, a term that we're using in the nutrition world now, which stands for uh, boutique branding. So they're oh. often small boutique companies. Mm-hmm. The E is for exotic ingredients. So they'll often contain, you know, moose or in, in Canada or, you know, just mm. really exotic ingredients, crocodile or deer or things that aren't commonplace. Um, and then the G is grain free. And so it's a term that's encompassing some of those uh, emerging, emerging trends. But what we know from these diets is that they're actually causing some really big issues and some really important 
really significant health consequences in our patients mm. and have absolutely been directly linked to death in, mm. in patients, both uh, in Australia, in America, in other countries. So mm. uh, we really need to be mindful of beg diets. Mm. Um, we need to be educated around what they are, the impacts that they're having, but then have the tools at our disposal to be able to talk to clients about them. Um, in the same vein, the other one that, that we need to be equipped to have the conversation around is raw feeding. Mm. Um, and this is such a hot topic at the moment. So um, hot right now. It is. And there's an increasing number of raw companies emerging and that's starting to give some perception to consumers that this is actually a uh, there is merit towards raw feeding. Now what the research is telling us is that uh, there is some there's some research that says that digestibility of raw diets is better for our patients. Um, there was some some somewhat subjective data that showed that they had smaller uh, firmer stools. Now, raw feeding is advocated for a whole range of other health benefits, none of which have actually been supported by data. The evidence around it is extremely anecdotal and subjective. Mm. On the flip side of that, there's been a lot of research into the bacterial contamination uh, risks of raw feeding mm. and to the nutritional deficiencies. Now, what they have found is that a lot of raw recipes are nutritionally deficit uh, in some manner. Um, in fact, when I say a lot, I mean <laughs> uh, almost all of them. Mm. Um, and that there's an extremely high uh, risk of, of bacterial contamination. And this is mm. not substantiated in just one or two papers. There's a lot of research over the past four and five years that have gone into this. Um, and so what, what the evidence is saying is that the benefits of raw feeding are unsubstantiated the risks are substantiated. Mm. And so that means that organizations like Wasava, the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association are, uh, are supported in the statements that they have released against raw feeding. Mm. And that as veterinary professionals, we need to be educated around what those papers are and how to have that conversation with clients. Oh, I would love to link some of those papers in the show notes. Um, I remember being at the Wasava conference in 2015 and I sat in on a panel um, where vets were discussing this topic and there is a vet from Sydney and her name's Andrea and I think she's mainly a feline vet but I remember that she was saying um, that yes, we shouldn't be recommending these diets. Uh, and unfortunately, we have a lot of clients who have these sorts of diets recommended by breeders and we sort of then have to look for information to maybe challenge what they received in their puppy or their kitten pack from the breeder. But um, this this vet, uh, Dr. Andrea, I can't remember her surname, she was sort of saying that the exception for her, which is interesting, um, and I'm not sure if this is substantiated, but is cats with high body condition scores um, feeding like a raw whole chicken drumstick or whole chicken wing to help with feelings of um, feeling satiated. So she said that she has a cat who is, you know, a real eater, like will never feel satiated and will just whinge and whinge and whinge. So she um, 
puts that cat in the shower and then shuts the shower screen door so that the cat is isolated in there with this raw chicken, which of course you don't want dragged around your house. Um, And then he will just sort of wrestle with it and eat it for a long time and then actually feel like, ah, yeah, now I'm full. Um, And that for her was, you know, she couldn't substantiate that either. It was totally anecdotal. It was totally just based on her opinion. But even suggesting that, we we will sometimes suggest that or Matt will to clients with, you know, chronically obese cats and we really can't make any headway. But even then, to me, I'm like, what do you then do with your shower after that when we're talking about (laughs) bacterial contamination as well? And like, what do you then do with your cat that wants to come and wipe its face on your carpet and that sort of thing? So there are so many risks associated with it and it is such a hot topic um, and it would be great to link some proper articles for nurses who are reaching for those resources to talk to clients about it and say, well, you know, I know this is what your breeder said, but here's um, some other information. Absolutely. And I, I have to say I would be one who um, would would imagine that there's more of a behavioural component to that than a nutrition component. Exactly, and exactly. there's a lot of research that's gone into raw uh, chicken as a source of Campylobacter mm. uh, in contamination and infection. And, and you're right, there, there's a risk of then the shower and, and it's on the cat's fur and, mm-hmm. and it's all well and good to say wash your hands before and after you uh, you play with or interact with that cat, but that cats also go on our bed, on our ca- mm-hmm. couches. You know, we need to sneeze. There's a lot of uh, hygiene isn't always as easy as just wash your hands before and after, and and mm. we do need to be mindful of that. And and we know from a weight loss perspective, uh, since then that there's been new new technologies made and. And there are new solutions now, which we're actually having really, really awesome success with in, in for weight loss in cats. And you're dead right. It was a it was a behavioural reason that that she was saying that it allowed them to use this natural behaviour that they may you know need to suppress from day to day because cats in the wild should be you know would be catching what they're going to eat and that sort of thing. So just to wrestle with this drumstick. But you know, as somebody who had Campy last Christmas, I can put my hand up oh, and say you no. do not want that you do not want that so absolutely (laughs) mine was not from a cat eating a drumstick it was from a toddler at day camp we won't talk about that (laughs) now in what ways do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue and if you're feeling overwhelmed what do you do Uh, such a great question and it's so so important and one of the, the things that I really advocate for is making sure that every single person uh, regardless of if you're a veterinary professional or not has a written down self-care plan and there's a direct li- link between resilience and disconnection and that that's disconnecting from uh, our social network that's disconnecting from you know uh, our 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 physical environment, I'm just too tired to do this particular thing. And so when we can have a self-care plan actively written down, when we're going through those periods where perhaps our resilience has some cracks in it, we can go, actually, I'm acknowledging that I'm displaying these behaviours. What I can do about it is these things that I've already written down uh, that actually help me to be able to recharge. And people always say say to me, oh, I don't have time for self-care. Self-care, and that's where self-care is fundamentally 
uh, misperceived is that it shouldn't be something that detracts from your time. It should be something that refuels you and mm. re-energizes you. Mm. And so if it's one of those things where it's an effort to go for a walk or go to the beach or do yoga or meditate or whatever, and it's hard for you to work that into your day, then perhaps that's just not the self-care activity for you. Perhaps, mm. and, and so things for me are listening to podcasts. Um, mm. I, I love, love, love that. Um, it's it's going for a swim in the morning. There's this particular stretch of road on my way home, uh, on my drive home every day. And, and as I'm driving home, it's often when the sun's setting and you can see the mountains and the sun sets behind the mountains and it's, the sky goes purple and orange and pink and it's just beautiful Mm. and as I drive down that road I often turn off the the podcast that I'm listening to and just have some silence and just appreciate how beautiful that view is Mm. and for me that makes me feel re-energized and recharged and that's one of the things that I do to help to uh, mend some of those cracks that can happen in our resilience. Mm, exactly they can be very small things and 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 just little rituals that don't take much time at all but also if you can't make the time or you don't have the energy to do the thing maybe that's a really red flag that you need to be taking a day off work for your resilience and and saying that or you know um trying to put down one of the plates that you're spinning and saying i just can't do do all of these anymore because um there are some cracks appearing that that really need some big changes Absolutely. And it's important to make sure that we stay connected to others. I, I love, I had a nurse say, say to me once, that one of the things that she does when she noticed she's getting some cracks in her resilience is she will make sure that uh, every single week she sets aside some time and she calls someone that she hasn't spoken to for, uh, you know, four months, five months, six months. And so it'll just be someone in her phone book or someone, mm. on, a friend on Facebook. And she just gives them a call to say, hey, how are you doing? And and That's I just an awesome love thing to that do. idea mm. so much. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. What a great way. And imagine being the, res- the recipient of that call mm. just out of the blue. Hey, how are you? I'm interested in, in what's going on with you. Let's connect. That's awesome. I love that. I've got friends that I haven't seen in 10 years face to face, but, you know, we ring each other once every few months and it's just so nice. It's so oh, nice. That's so nice. And for no particular reason, you're not like, oh, what's wrong? Something's gone wrong. It's just like, exactly. hey, how are you going? And, oh, I remember those phone calls back when you just picked up the phone and called someone for no reason. <laughs> Weren't they, wasn't, that, wasn't that like the fun time to have? Exactly. Weren't and now days? Have, it's so easy to access video chat. There's no reason we can't have virtual dinner or coffee or whatever. Yeah, we don't that's need to right. physically be connected. Yeah. Or remember when the phone would ring and you didn't know who it was? <laughs> What a Those blast. Were the days. <laughs> you didn't know who it was for. It could have been for you or your sibling or your parent. Like just like ring, ring. Wow. All of the infinite possibilities. What will it be? Yes, exactly. Might just tape over my screen on my phone so I can't see for a week who's ringing me. <laughs> a surprise for now on. You know what? I'll put my number on on uh, where I yes, the caller ID. Do. And just, just, just surprise, surprise me. You. Except I'll probably screen you because that's what we do when our no numbers ring these days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No number, uh, don't answer. Now, what is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? Um, well, of course, off the back of the of uh, what we're talking about is absolutely normalising mental health and, and improving accessibility to uh, support and resources and that will be be an ongoing thing and it's so important and, and we've spoken about that 
Um, but that that is absolutely a cornerstone. And we know that, that veterinary professionals are four times more at risk of suicide than the general population. So for me, that is fundamentally where things need to change mm. is, is making sure that uh, we can address the mental health crisis. And then, of course, it's not going to surprise you. The other side is, is our understanding of nutrition in, <laughs> uh, in the general uh, practice population, in our yep. specialist po- uh, practice population, just generally. Um, it's, not, it's, kind of, it's not one of those areas that's overly well-educated to in a university setting. Mm. Um, it's something where we come out and often rely on industry support to get our knowledge in there and mm-hmm. it's perhaps not as in-depth or focused or targeted as it needs to be in particular areas. So um, so they're my two, two big mm. areas that I would love to see us advance in is um, support around mental health and, and then, of course, our knowledge and understanding of nutrition. No surprise there. Yeah, and I think any nurses with a genuine interest in nutrition or in behaviour, I think that those are two areas that nurses can really, really – Um, take the reins within practice because um, it's not something that's really covered in depth for vets as well. So when there's a consult that does need to go down the behavior path or down the nutrition path, or we've got a client that does want to feed a home diet, often, um, you know, the vets can rule out anything serious that might be going on. But when that discussion needs to be had about the behavior, about the nutrition, we're looking to other professionals uh, and specialists within the industry or trying to refer them on to someone um, else. Whereas if you can be that vet nurse within your clinic or that technician within your clinic, um, who has those skills and that knowledge, then the vet will be saying, let's book you a nurse consult with so-and-so who is our go-to person on this and they can discuss this with you further. So if you have an interest in those areas, take that deep dive um, and, you know, you'll be able to to really take that by, by by the reins and run with it. I couldn't agree more. And if there's anyone out there who wants to know more about uh, the Nutrition VTS, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love, love, love to support more nurses um, to, to achieve that. And, and please, if you think it's it's an interest and you just, you just want to know more about it, um, just reach out and we can have the chat. It's, it's please know I'm here to support anyone who wants to do that. That's very generous of you. I will put a link to the best way that they can contact you as well. And today has been so much fun. Um, I've so enjoyed having our chat together um, and I've been looking forward to it for so long, as I said. So just to wrap up today, I want to know if you want to reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in our industry, who would it be and what would you say? I actually have three, and I and as we wrap up, I'll keep it brief. But um, one, of course, would be Sue Crampton, who for a very long time, and and hopefully for a very long time to come, uh, has been an amazing mentor. And and I cannot say thank you enough, um, mm-hmm. especially for putting up with my sarcastic, witty humour. Sometimes we joke that I'm I'm just in the office for uh, for comic relief. Um, <laughs> so she's given me a lot of her her time and shared her knowledge with me immensely. And, and her energy and I she's really helped me grow and develop as a person I'm so appreciative for and that. what an amazing mentor to have I mean <sighs> really I was so 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 lucky and and I spoke to how appreciative I am for the role modeling of of my mother went from a really young age and mm-hmm. and um, a 
allowing me to access international conferences and showing me she has a memberships in dentistry and showing me what it is to pursue a special interest area. And I really credit her with, with uh, enabling me to access some of the pathways that I've been able to access. And, and sometimes nurses will say to me, oh, I didn't know these conferences happened. You know, they were so big uh, overseas and, and even locally with the VNCA, et cetera. How did you find out about it? And uh, that access, I really credit to her. And mm. and finally, the other person I'd have to thank would be Dr. Tom Cat from the States and introducing me really, really young. I think I was 12 to team consulting and what that meant and what it looked like and how it could transform a business, how it could transform the patient uh, welfare and the standards of care, how it could transform the client experience. And uh, he's really taught me a lot and, and showed me the ropes and empowered me to um, to implement what nurse consults are in our clinic, which has led me to be able to achieve my VTS and consult on nutrition. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful to, to all of them. And, and there's such a long list more to everyone that, that I've been able to meet and who's inspired me. Mm. And I, as I said, learning about this story and all of these various players in it, I already knew about Sue, of course, but yeah, it's joined so many dots for me and I and I now understand why you are just this force in our industry or amongst our peers, I feel like. Um, I know you've, you've just had um, your, uh, I won't say which, but a turn of the decade birthday, but to my mind, I'm like, <laughs> how does she know all this? And she's, you know, you know, just reached this age. So now I, I understand you've been fully immersed for a really long time. I think we're really lucky to have you contributing within our industry and and offering your support and your um, warmth and everything and uh, you know to, to people that you're that you're mentoring or that you're um, coaching within your role within CCG so yeah to, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there out here listening going yep excellent Novik love her so you've touched <laughs> a lot of people in our industry already and I really look forward to seeing what you do next and I can't wait to see you next when we can bloody both get on a plane freak out hop off the other end and be somewhere where we catch up oh I know I can't wait and, and Kat thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, have me as a guest it's such an amazing platform that you've created and I'm so uh, lucky and honoured to be a part of it and, and I can't thank you enough for everything for inspiring me this week and letting me collaborate with you it's, it's amazing so thank you so much Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.